Thanks for listening to this message brought to you by Cornerstone Christian Church. I want to get right where we were last uh, Sunday. If you wasn't here, we probably won't put the message that we preached Wednesday night. Um, I guess I, I don't really check that. It's not on there, is it? We're probably not going to put that on for the podcast. But if the, if you call this church your family, your home, um, I want you to get that CD. Uh, I, we're just basically just covering vision that we want to see really the next quarter, the next six months of where we're trying to get to. So uh, I just want you to get that just so that you can stay up with us and uh, uh, just where we're at and where we're headed. Um, we're headed at a good place. Um, my wife's not here today. She just she's just started getting a uh, sick feeling yes uh, yesterday afternoon, just cold or whatever, and so she run a fever last night. And I got up first thing this morning. She said, "I just don't think I can make it." She said, "But I'll be there tonight." And so um, just pray for her. I left her with all three children, so she definitely needs us to be uh, interceding. Uh, they were still asleep, so whenever I left, so. But uh, anyhow, so you there in Hebrews chapter 12. Last week we talked about this. We really preached on about running the race, and I just really can't get this. I've tried to move on to something else, and so, but I've just still got these uh, verses of scriptures uh, uh, in my heart. I just want to really go on six things today. Uh, six, I'm really not a point preacher, but I'm going to give you six points or six things to help us uh, run the race that God's called us to. And um, also, too, as you know, we're going to be preaching tonight at Pastor Frank and Shirley Carter's church, New Birth. I think that's uh, 2800 uh, Forest Avenue down in Valdosta. I think that's right. Um, and so uh, we're going to uh, 6 o'clock. So if you want to come be with us down there, uh, you're more than welcome to. So we're just going to go down there as family and enjoy the presence of God with their family and just uh, see the Lord move. Amen. So Hebrews chapter 12, uh, verse 1 and 2, it says this. It says that therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Let us pray right here. Father, we just thank you today, then. We just say that this is the day that you have made. We thank you for your presence we felt during worship in this place, God. What a privilege it is to anoint the head of Jesus. And Lord, I just pray that as we look into your word today, I pray that such encouragement and such courage would be just placed in the heart of your people. And let us run the race that you've called us to, Father. Let us not sit on the sidelines and just be spectators, but God, let us engage wholeheartedly with our lives in the race that you've called us to run. Let us be faithful to run that race in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen and amen. So I'm just really going, you know that I'm subject to holler. I'm a preacher, okay? We, we say a lot of times that teachers tell it, but preachers yell it. But I really want to just go through this and break this down into six things that in, these, uh, in, in this text. And so we preached from this text last week, but I'm going to try to come at it from a different angle. But the first thing that we notice uh, in this text is that that we're compassed about uh, with, with a great cloud of witnesses, what it says. And so that we're not in this race alone. Uh, 
I don't believe that God ever calls us to run run alone. He calls us to run with someone. But there's also, if you will, back up and let's read Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 30 because all this is uh, just tying together right here. Uh, in Hebrews 11 verse 30, let's look at this. By faith the walls of Jericho... I'm in Hebrews 11, verse 30. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. By faith, the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. And what more shall I say, for the time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, and Samson, Jephthah, and also David, and Samuel, and the prophets who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lions, quenched the violence of the fire, escaped the edge of the sword, and out of weakness were made strong, became uh, violent uh, uh, in battle, turned to fight uh, the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again, and others were uh, tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had had, uh, trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they they were sown in two, were tempted and were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheep skins and goat skins and being destitute, afflicted and tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in desert and mount in the deserts and mountains, in the dens and caves of the earth, and all these having obtained a good testimony through faith, um, having uh through faith and did not receive the promise God had providing something better for us that they should not be made perfect apart from us all this is speaking of that we know that the crowd of the cloud of witness that the writer of Hebrews described in Hebrews 12:1 that we also read that God's hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11 that all these are in that cloud of witnesses do you believe that do you know that from the foundations of the earth all those that obey God in this area, and uh, I mean, they're in the cloud of witnesses, and they're watching us and encouraging us that the promises that they sought after, the promises that Paul sought after, the promises that Moses sought after, and all the ones throughout the Bible, all the history that God gave us in Scripture, and all the history, uh, th- th- these are they're they're waiting, if you will, on a generation. There seems to be coming a generation. We know that because of the parables that Jesus taught. The first parable that he, the, uh, the first miracle that he did was the wedding at Canaan. And you remember he said that usually when they're drunk, they they bring out the cheaper wine, if you if you will. But he said that you brought you brought out the best for last. Notice when that miracle was done, there was six water pots of a of uh, of earthen. Um, clay water pots there. Six is the number of man. It had the most, these were used for ceremonial washing. This is where they they would come in and wash their hands and feet. This was filthy water uh, uh, that Jesus created the wine inside of. He didn't say pour the water out. He just simply said, put water in. That is a picture of the last day's army. People that are addicted that nobody said could ever be free. 
Come on now. People that are so messed up that the world says that there's no hope for them, God's going to pour the gospel, the water of the word, into their lives and what the enemy meant to harm them and take them out with, he's going to turn it around for good and they're going to be able to draw out of their lives and bring deliverance to many. There seems to be a generation all portrayed in Scripture and we know this. Listen, if you're in, uh, I guess... I really don't, I, you could tell I've never been a cross-country runner, okay? And so, but in this running, when we hand the baton off, I do know this, that in running or when it relates to swimming and others, the last one that gets the baton is usually the fastest man on the team because he's got to make up the ground if there was any ground lost. God, I feel the Holy Ghost. Listen, so I believe that God is going to equip a generation supernaturally to make up any ground where in any generation before us, if they were sidetracked, if, if ground was lost, if truths were lost, they're going to come upon this generation and we're going to be able to gain that ground. And so knowing this, that the race I'm running, I'm not just running for me. God's not called us to run the race for me. Actually, the anointing and the presence that are upon my life is really not for me and the great gifting that God has in your life is not for you to be selfish, but God come, God is in me for me, but he comes upon me for somebody else. Your gift is to be a blessing to someone else's life. Do you believe that? So, I'm not running this race for me, but also know this, that when I'm in the race that I have other people cheering me on. Not only are you guys and the ones that I'm running with cheering me on, but literally in the bandstands of heaven, the, the stands are full and they are cheering us on. They're cheering us on. Do you believe that? Not only that, our elder brother Jesus is at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us and he is cheering you on from the bandstands of heaven. Did you hear what I said? He's cheering you on. In, in, in times you think you can't make it, he's standing up saying you can make it. Hallelujah. Now let's look on a little further. Notice what it says. So the first thing is, hey, I'm not running by myself. I'm running with someone. And not only that, i got a great crowd that's cheering me on. Number two, it says to lay aside the weight. It is impossible to run a race weighted down. This is what causes us to have no endurance. This is what causes us to give up in the middle of the race. Is because we have weighted down. Now, how many knows this? I believe that this weight speaks of is stuff that we've allowed to be attached to us throughout the journey. How many knows that when you start off in the race, how many just remembers when you got saved? I got saved February the 2nd of 1998. I was so excited, became the greatest evangelist on my job, ready to hold up hell with a water pistol. But how many knows in the journey, stuff happens? Setbacks happens. Challenges happens. Some of the sin that I thought was buried in my life sometimes rises back up. There ain't nobody else in here with that. Come on now. Sometimes in the journey, things get attached to us, and what happens is, is we don't realize that we're running with the stuff in the baggage we got on us. But God wants to touch the baggage. He doesn't want us to run with the baggage. He wants us to lay aside. Listen, he says lay aside every weight. We've got to be willing to lay the stuff aside. I believe that the weight speaks of not necessarily sin because then he goes on to say, and the sin. Notice that he did. I'll get there in a minute. But he said lay aside the weight. I believe the weight has to do with disappointments. 
Everybody in this room has been disappointed. We've been disappointed by God, seemingly, and disappointed by other people. One thing that I know about God is we live in a microwave society. You can pull around, order a full course meal, and they got it ready in 30 seconds waiting at the next window. But God is seemingly like a crock pot, but He's always on time. It seemingly to Mary and Martha, he was four days late because Lazarus was dead, but seeming to him, he was on time. Because death didn't have no power over him. Come on, somebody, he's always on time. And so this speaks of disappointment. And the Bible says that hope deferred, literally hope delayed, makes the heart sick. So in this, this is weights, this is, this is hurts that's happened to me. How many knows if you've been in church and you run with a group of people, you're going to get hurt? Come on, y'all. Y'all help me preach this thing. It'll go a whole lot better, okay? And you can stay awake and alert, and then we can go down there and eat chicken and sister, and you can be back at the house taking a nap on Sunday afternoon. Are you with me? Lay aside the weight. Listen, it's impossible to run the race when you stay weighted down with hurt. It's impossible to run the race when you stay weighted down with offenses. And let's just say this, that the Bible says in uh, Luke 17 that, uh, that it is impossible that offenses will not come. Everyone in this room will have, be, have the opportunity to become offended. And offenses are just weights that go in the backpack that keep us from, from, from reaching our destination in God. And so what, I, what we preached, we preached this last Sunday, and I, I really want to stay on the last topic a good bit, so I'm going to have to hurry, that we, we found great wisdom from the Apostle Paul when he wrote the church at Philippi. He said, one thing as I have attained in my life, and that is willing to let the past go. To, to run the race and get the weights out, I have to be willing to let the past go. I have to be willing to let the people go that done me wrong. Come on, somebody. I have to be willing to let the hurts that I thought it was going to happen this way, but it never happened that way. I have to let that go. And also, I have to let go of, of the past that things that, that I caused in my life. How I many know sometimes it wasn't the devil, sometimes it was you? <clears throat> By the way, we are our own worst enemy. You're not fighting the devil as much as you're fighting you to start with. Old, I mean, uncrucified flesh is what we're fighting. So we have to be willing to let that go. There is Listen, you cannot move forward in the next chapter of your life till you're willing to close the last chapter. Now, let's go right here. Now, this is where it gets rough. So we can deal with, we, man, we got a lot of cheerleaders in heaven. We got cheerleaders on the earth. We got to let go of the hurt, all of these things that happen. Now he says, lay aside every weight. We can get rid of that. And now he says, the sin. Is that what your Bible says? I'm reading out of New King James. Lay aside every sin, the new King James says that ensnares us. If you got it the way Paul wrote it in the King James, come on somebody, red letter 11, 16, it says besets us. Listen, it is impossible to run the race and continue in a lifestyle of sin. It will wear you out. America's trying to teach us and the culture teaches us how to cope with your sin, but what we believe is Jesus died for our sin. 
And it's his good pleasure to set us free from sin. Come on, somebody. And the Bible says whom the Son has set free is freed indeed. It's simply accepting what he did for me on the cross and applying that to my life and receiving that I have truly been set free. Now he said, the sin that so easily besnares, uh, ensnares us and besets us. So let's just say this, that in the journey in running the Christian race, we can be doing good in several areas of our lives, but if the sin that is ensnaring us is not dealt with, it will take us out of the race. How many knows this, the lady that had the issue of blood? She could have been doing great financially. She could have had the best home life and the best marriage ever. She could have fasted three days a week, but she had an issue of blood, and if that issue wasn't addressed, that issue would have taken her out. <clears throat> One of my favorite stories to preach from when I preach on, along these lines is the story of Saul. How many knows that God told Saul to go out and destroy every bit of the Amalekites? He said, don't keep nothing. I mean, don't keep their dog. Don't you keep nothing. You kill everything they got. Well, Saul went out on the journey, and he did kill most of it, but he let a few things alive. Saying one king and the choice of the animals. Now, later on, if you read in 1 Samuel chapter, I think it's around 1 Samuel chapter 30, when Saul and them get into the heat of the battle, and Saul and Jonathan is killed. You remember Saul is wounded, and a soldier comes by and actually thrusts a sword into Saul. Who was the man? And what it, what it says in the King James, it says, For the man was an Amicalite. The thing that he refused to kill later on killed him. Listen, and what we got to understand is the enemy attacks us when we're young. He attacks, he seems to be attacking things in, in their small, in the, when, it's, when it's small. It's hard, to, it's hard to get it when it's grown, so he comes when it's small. Remember when Moses, Moses was called to be a deliverer. When did the enemy go after him? When he was a baby, if it had not been for his mother putting him in a basket settling down the river, he would have been taken out. When did the enemy come after Jesus? When he was a baby. So the enemy begins to attack us when we're small. And so here's the deal. Throughout my Christian walk is when I'm an infant in God, God will give me grace to start dealing with things. He's more, listen, the Bible says, the, we always quote this, the flesh is weak, but here's what it also says, but the Spirit's willing. That tells me God is willing to help me in my weakness. But what I have to do is recognize and call it as sin. This is not my struggle. It is a sin in my life. And God wants to deal with the sin that so easily, the Bible says, ensnares us and sets us back on the race. God wants us fully whole and fully delivered. I do not believe that the Christian life is meant to be struggle after struggle after struggle. Jesus did not die for that. He died to fully set me free so that I could be fully in love with him and fully run this race with confidence and endurance he did not die for me to cope with my depression he died to set me free from my depression he did not die so that I would have to struggle with lust and every other area in my heart he died so that I could be free and whom the son set free is freed indeed
Are you with me, church? He died to set us free. He did not die to help me a little bit. He died to help me the whole way. So, because here's the deal. If I don't deal with my sin, what happens is the sin is just there for, to give attention to. And you remember just this tweet that we talked about last Sunday that went out with uh, Michael Phelps in the pool. And he's swimming down the pool. And Michael Phelps' eyes is glued to the end down there where the, where the finish line is. But the racer right beside him was looking at him. The enemy comes to distract us, to pull us away from him. To get our eyes on something else. But what the writer of Hebrews is saying, listen, if we're, gonna, if we're ever going to be the last generation, if we're going to be a generation that takes the baton and gets it done, and I do believe we are. Are you with me now? I do believe we are. And it may not, if, I, if I'm not in that crowd, I do believe that, I believe the ones that are upstairs and the ones that's in that night are in that crowd. I still believe in the rapture of the church. Anybody else up in this room? There is going to be a generation that's on the earth to see the rapture of the church. Now listen, but what I don't believe is this, that what I, when I was raised as a little boy, because the conditions of the world was so bad, we believe the rapture of the church. That does not determine the rapture of the church. What determines the rapture of the church is how hot the bride is in love for the bridegroom because the Bible says the spirit and the bride say come. It's when the church is in love with God more than they are with this world and their cry from heaven pulls him out of the banisters of heaven and says, I cannot stand to be separated anymore. This is the rapture. So we deal with the sin. We deal with the sin that's in our heart. We don't recognize it as, I'm not going to say it's just a struggle. I will recognize it as sin and I will deal with the sin in my heart that I may run the race. Listen, rage, this is what runs. I'm going to get on my own stuff. You just listen, rage. Just, well, you know, I just lose my temper. No, that is a sin. I never read in the Bible where Jesus was enraged. He did go in there and throw down in the temple one time, though. Remember that? And our Sunday school, he went in there and said, will y'all get out of these tables? No, the Bible says he threw tables over. I believe... He went in there and said, listen here, I'm fit to beat somebody down in the name of Jesus. In the name of my Father. Listen. All right. God wants us to deal with the things. Quit. And let me just say this. How, okay, preacher, how do I get rid of that thing? Let me tell you this. All you got to do is stop feeding it. What you don't feed will die. God help me right here. Did you hear what I just said? What you don't feed will die. Jensen Franklin, when he was a young preacher, went to his daddy and said, Daddy, listen. He said, I feel like I got two bears on the inside of me. He said, one bear wants to do good and the other bear wants to do bad. He's, and his dad said, whichever one you feed the most, that's the one that's going to win. Listen to me. If you feed the flesh, your flesh is going to dominate your life. Come on, somebody. But if you feed the spirit man, your spirit man will begin to dominate your flesh man. I don't care what you hooked up with, what you bound in this morning. If you begin to feed the spirit and you begin to starve the flesh, your flesh will lose hold of you. Listen to me. Here's another thing. Listen, Leonard Ravenhill said this. A sinning man will stop praying, but a praying man will stop sinning. If you feed the Spirit, it will win. So what that means is you got to cut off the way the things are getting fed. If you're depressed, cut the country music off. 
I mean, listen, every song's about losing the wife, kids, and the dog, and somebody got shot. Get you something that's full of faith and power that's going to feed your inward man. Boy, I want to preach right there for so long, but I can't. I ain't got time. Listen, when we're sitting there listening to that, it's not building faith. What did Luke Bryan say when he got a problem? What's he going to do? We're just going to sit here and drink another beer. You can drink all the beer you want to, friend, but that's never going to fix your problem. Your problem's going to still exist. Listen, but I'm telling you this, listen. Through faith in God, faith in God does not deny deny the problem exists. That's not what faith is. Faith doesn't deny that it exists. What faith does is it denies the influence on my perspective of what it is. Because I believe that all things are possible to him that believeth. Faith doesn't deny that problem. It just denies its influence upon my thought process. Feed the spirit man. You know what else? The spirit man, he loves the word of God. Well, you say, well, I read the Bible, but I just can't remember it like, I can't remember it like Clay does. I can't remember it like Harry remembers. I say it like this. I do not remember what I had for lunch last Tuesday. But I can tell you this, it was good and it sustained me to where I'm at now. That's the same way with reading the Bible. You may feel like nothing is going in. I'm telling you, it's going in. And listen, you may, you may say, well, what in the world? I feel like I'm reading that. Listen, there's times that I read the Bible, I'm just reading it. I'm being to be honest with you, there's not jumping off the page saying, whoa, dancing around, you know what I'm saying? I'm just simply reading the Word. But I know this, that it is sustaining me for the journey, and I may need what I'm reading two months from now. And here's the deal, the Holy Spirit, which is the author, of the book he knows it from maps to maps come on somebody and when you need what you read he has the ability to pull it right back to your remembrance feed the spirit man what you feed the most will win if you feed the flesh it will be winning if you feed the spirit it will now notice what he said now in the race he said you got to look into Jesus now I don't believe this looking unto Jesus is just mean my eyes is on him like just look like I look at Cleve. This looking unto seems to be the same thing. Remember in Acts chapter 3 at the gate called Beautiful where there was a beggar sitting there begging alms and Peter, James, and John were coming up to the hour of prayer and Peter looks at the man and says, look on us. When he looked on them at that moment, he was looking to receive something. He was looking for something in his life to change when he looked. This is what the writer said, looking unto Jesus. Jesus is not just a fairy tale. He's not just was a prophet, as some would say. Most, but see, I'm, I'm about to get in trouble right here. I don't believe the devil's got a problem with Jesus. Especially in America, the way we reduced him down to Jesus. Most people see Jesus as a little baby in a manger. And the others see him as just a suffering servant. But that's not the way he is today, friend. He's not a baby in a manger. And he's not the suffering servant. He don't have a crown of thorns. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father. And when he returns, he's not coming on the young donkey anymore. He's coming on a white stallion. 
and he's got a tattoo right there on his thigh. That, that blows all of my growing up Pentecostal. If you tattoo your body, you're going to hell. Come on. He's got, the Bible says he's got a tattoo called faithful what and true. This is the picture of in the, it says looking unto what this means is in my race whatever arises in my lane I can look unto that Jesus who has already completed the race knowing that everything I need he has the power to deliver it to me. This is saying looking up that means when I get sick and the doctor says there's no hope for you I can look unto the author and the finisher of my faith knowing that by the stripes upon his back I am healed. That means when my finances is low I can look unto him who became poor so that I may become rich. This is looking unto Jesus. This is not what America's brought him down to. The Well, he's just a baby in a manger. He ain't a baby in a manger no more. He's roaring like a lion, friend. Look unto. Look unto the Lord. This is where we have got to get. Listen, I wrote this verse of Scripture down in Philippians 1.6. It says, know this, that he is faithful and just to complete me unto the day of Jesus. What does it say? He that hath begun a good work. I want to tell you right now, friend, your, your life may be in shambles. You may have everything wrong with you. But listen, if you are hooked to God, he that hath begun a good work, if you keep looking unto him, he will complete you unto the day of Jesus. Nobody in this room has it all figured out, including me. Me being the first one. No preacher that's preaching. I don't care what kind of TV ministry guy. I don't care if he landed on a Boeing 747 with angel wings on both, angels standing on both of the wings. Nobody has arrived. We're all still looking unto the author and finisher of our faith. We're all still working out our salvation with fearing trembling. Every person in this room is in need of grace and mercy saying, God, help us get on the race. Are you with me? Now look at this. Now he said this. He said, for the joy that was set before him. Now, <clears throat> this is one that what, we, what we're used to in the church is for the depression set before us. We endured. Come on. You remember this is several years back, maybe 20 years now. But when the revival happened at Toronto... Airport Christian Fellowship, nobody could believe it was God because the people were laughing. This can't be God because people are laughing. I mean, they're having fun. Let me just say this, church should be fun. If church is boring and depressing, I, my suggestion to you is get out of that church. <laughs> I'm a... <laughs> Oh, Jesus, help us right here. I mean, I'm not going to sit there and listen to some icicle tell me about how God used to be something. I got to know that God's something for me today, friend, because I'm not living in the 60s. Or did you hear what I said? And I'm not living in 2040. I'm living in 2016, and I got to know that God is a present help in a time of need right now. I got to know he's a healer right now today. I got to know he's a deliverer today. For the joy that was set before him, for the joy set before him, he endured he endured a hardship or a hurdle in the road because of the joy that was going to be after that. A lot of times, this, this tells me, don't focus on the problem, focus on the outcome. 
Jesus saw the cross. Listen to me. How was he running? It says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. The cross just happened to be in the lane of the final target. Yeah, let me just say this. On a bowling alley, when you go to the bowling alley, when you get in the lane, the, bowl, the, the, the lane has arrows at the beginning. If your ball hits that, that is not the actual goal. That is the, the starting point. You want to hit that mark to reach the final mark, which is a strike at the end of the lane. This is what the cross was. The cross was not the finality of it. It was the beginning of something. God help me right here. I don't mind. They're on the limb. Got trains. Right, so listen, the cross was the initial target of the bowling lane because here Jesus didn't just come to want you to get saved and so that you could come to church. That your salvation was the initial target. What he wanted was communion with you, and that is the strike at the end of the lane. He wanted the Holy Spirit back in your life, communion with you and the Father. So that's what the cross was. So he, for the joy. So somewhere, listen, on this race, this race is meant to be fun. It's not meant to be full of depression. It's meant to be fun. For the joy. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. And according to Nehemiah, you remember when they rebuilt the wall, Nehemiah chapter, chapter 8, when they rebuilt the wall, and Nehemiah writes it, he says, listen, he said, nobody cry, nobody mourn, and nobody fast. Man, that sounds like what we're supposed to be doing. Nobody do any of that. He said, for we're about to celebrate and we're about to have a feast. And he said, today is a day of joy. Because the Bible says what? The joy of the Lord is what? In that verse, Nehemiah 8.10. For the joy of the Lord is our strength. How do you get strengthened to continue to run the race? When you feed from the vein of joy. Listen, and where does joy live? The Bible says in the fullness of the presence of God, there in the presence of God, there is what? Fullness of joy. So the more that I hang out in the presence of God, the more joy that enters into my life. If there's a lack of joy, because we, we always reveal in language which reality that has most influence on our life. If I talk to you and you have doubt, listen, we all have doubt at some time, so don't take me where I'm not going. I have said this. I don't know if we're going to make it. <laughs> we're going down. Buckle up. We're going down. Has anybody else ever said that? But I try, and listen, and I know, and I, I don't know, I don't know, I used to say it like this. This is Eric State, and Rob Parsons used to always preach like this. I don't know all things, just most things. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? But uh, listen, I do know this. According to James chapter 3, whatever comes out of my mouth is literally like a rudder on a ship and it's directing my life. So if the only thing is negative thoughts, that's the world that you're most aware of. Are you with me now? That's the world that you're making most influence upon your life because that's revealing because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Listen, we, when we listen to ourselves talk, it's telling us the inward reality of what we have on the inside of us. Which stream we're feeding out of. So joy is not happiness. It, happy, happy has to do with happenings. That's what's happening right now. Right now we're, we're, we're at Brewster's eating some ice cream and we're happy. 
but tomorrow I might not be, things might be happening that doesn't make me happy. But just because I'm not happy doesn't mean I have to be absent of joy. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. Are you with me now? Now let's finish up on the last one because i got a lot of ground to go and a little time to get there. It's 11.44 if you're taking medicine, okay? I plan to land the plane at 12 o'clock. Or be at the airport, okay? Number six says this. Despising the shame. Is that what it says? It says despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of God. Now this is where I want to camp out to finish it up. Now think about this. Jesus said that he had to despise the shame. Think about the rejection. A lot of people get sidelined on the race of life and the, and, the, and the race of the Christian walk because of rejection and because of shame from the past. What you have to understand what shame is. Conviction says, I did something wrong. Shame says, you are something wrong. Conviction says, get up out of that sin. Shame says, you are that sin. You are an addict. You piece of trash. I cannot, this is shame. You piece of trash. You you addicted joker. I cannot even believe you would even walk through the walls of a church. While grace says, come to me all you who are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Shame is what keeps us from coming to that place. Shame is what pushed Adam into into the wilderness and he began to cover his own mistakes by killing killing an animal. I, I mean, hiding himself in fig leaves. Actually, God killed the animal, so he was the first hunter, okay? And so, um, so th- this is shame. So Jesus is saying, despising the shame. But here's Jesus who had never sinned. Think about it. He never sinned. Every sport he played, he excelled to the top. Here's Jesus. Now, how does he, how does he got to despise? Why does he got to despise the shame? I thought about this. How many members on the cross? How many members on the cross that the Bible says at the twelfth hour that gross darkness covered the land? At this moment, his father seemingly turned his face towards his, towards his own son on the cross. He's rejected by his father. Not only that, Jesus, the Lamb of God, the spotless Lamb of God, the Son of God, who left heaven to come to earth, is hanging between two thieves. So all the world thinks this man is nothing but a thief. So all of those voices come and say, you're not the Son of God. Are you an idiot? Look to your left. Look to your right. Man, they chose Barabbas, a well-known thief, over you. Now the voices start coming in on his mind saying, you know, look, your father. Man, your father won't even look at you right now. Look how displeased he is with you. And we know this according to Jesus' own test. He could have called legions of angels at any moment. But he chose to humble himself, even unto death. That's why now, according to Philippians, God has given him a name which is above every name. And that every knee shall bow and confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God. Now, shame. 
what, how do I break this cycle? Because listen, listen, can you stay here with me for the next 10 minutes? Nobody in this room has been perfect, and we all got curves in our journey that we didn't like. We all got situations in our journey and our walk, and we got photographs, some of it to prove it, that we're not happy about. But this is what, listen, you have to despise that shame. That is not who I was, and that is not who I am. That's a moment of weakness in my life. That is not defined who I am. God, i got to help me right here. Listen, that was one moment in time in my weakness I allowed that to come into my life, but that's not who I am. I am a child of the living God in whom he has has purchased and bought with a high price. That's who I am. But the enemy comes to tell me that I'm not that person. So what happens is, is we've got to learn how to live in a vulnerable state. Now, when we talk about vulnerability, which breaks the back of shame, most people think of vulnerability as weakness. If you only live vulnerable, I mean, you're weak. Actually, it takes great courage to live vulnerable. It takes great courage. What is cur? Courage is the ability to tell your story wholeheartedly. What I love about God is in the book, he didn't take out David's sin to show me a great leader. Man, think about this. If you're God and you're going to write a story about a man that you said was after your own heart, for surely you ain't going to write that he he lusted after a woman looking from the balcony of his his palace and saw her sunbathing. Listen, surely you're going to leave that out. Uh, For sure you're going to leave out that he not only did he he go and he he took her and laid with her and and, and got her pregnant and did send her husband to the front line of battle and commanded the troops to back away so that he would be killed to cover up his sin. Surely you would hide that. But here's the deal. What sets people free is not where you... What helps people the most is not seeing you when you got it all together. But when you tell the story of where you come from. You mean to tell me you was addicted to drugs and look at your life now. How did you get there? I would never be where I'm at now if it had not been for the grace of God and the mercy of God. That's why Paul said, I am what I am by the grace of God. I'm not what I am today by by my education, by my family. It is I am what I am by the grace of God. So shame comes in to to keep me hostage and pull me out of the race because I did something wrong in my life. Conviction says you've done something wrong. Shame says you are something wrong. Now, let's look at this. It's the courage to tell your story. I'm, assuming, I'm, I'm trying to finish up. I can't get all this. And, and so I'm just trying to hit what I'm saying. It's the courage to tell your story wholeheartedly. I tell you my whole story. I tell you that I was raised by an alcoholic. Are you with me? I was raised extreme blue collar. I tell you my whole story. I tell you that the time I was 18, I was addicted to pornography. I had to look at it every day of my life. I was almost an alcoholic. I tell you the whole story. But it doesn't mean that's who I am. That's just where I've been. God 
I said, that's where I've been. That's not who I am, and that's not where I'm at today. Had it been not for the love of God and the mercy of God, I'd still be there today. Some of you would be in prison had it not been for the goodness of God and the mercy of God. Come on. Some of you would have been dead, overdosed, and every other thing would have hit somebody as a drunk driver had it not been for the goodness of God. And what the enemy does is try to remind us of our past to keep us locked in that place and saying, you're not worthy. You know what shame says? You're not good enough. You're not thin enough. You're not pretty enough. You're not wealthy enough. You don't have the right socioeconomic status. All of that is shame. But here's the voice of God. You can do all things in Christ through strength and you, regardless of how you raise, which side to tracks you. Listen, your starting point doesn't determine your ending. That's just where you started. Shame needs three ingredients. To grow. Secrecy, silence, and judgments. Here's the deal. This is what, this is what don't never happen. I've pastored for, I've been in ministry since I was 18 years old. I'm 37 years old, been a senior pastor for the last 10 years. I've never seen this happen. The Bible says when Peter began to sink, he cried out to Jesus. Most people never cry out when they begin to sink. They cry out when they sunk. We don't hear about that you, listen, we can come up with $100 and $1,000, but it's hard to come up with $30,000. Are you with me? It's easy to fix a marriage when you've slept on the couch for three nights. But most time we get the call when you've been in the other room for six months and now she's left the house. Come on. And let me tell you what the enemy always does. You're the only one with that problem. If you tell them your problem, are you kidding me? You're a man of God preaching the gospel. Do not, do not say that, oh, oh, oh my God, and you got a problem. Listen here, if, 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 if I got a problem in my marriage and my house is right, not right, this will definitely not be right, and it's a matter of time that it's going to show up. Because I'm not important to you what I've downloaded off the internet. I'm important to you my life. And I can be preaching orange, I can be preaching orange trees every day of my life in here, nonstop sweating, pouring sweat like TD Jakes, losing my voice, hollering. All of that can be going on, but listen, and I can be preaching about oranges, but on the inside, apples is happening. What's being imparted is apples. And it won't take but about six months, and apple trees are standing up everywhere. Holy smokes, what's going on? So, shame needs secrecy, silence, and judgments. We are our own worst critic. Nobody holds, nobody's more critical of you than you are of yourself. It's why the teenage girl goes out to eat and she throws up in the toilet because she's forced by Seventeen Magazine to say this is what's acceptable. Are you with me? I'm 200 too much pounds and bald-headed, but I do not look in the mirror and say, my God, you, I look in the mirror and say, son, you still got it going on. <laughs> Gavin was at my house, and there's a picture hanging in my house. of I'm, I'm, I'm in about 30, I'm about a 33 waist. I got hair that's gelled up. And he, he texts that out to several people talking about Transformation Tuesday. What happened? Life happened. Three children. 
Cocoa Pebbles at night and drinking the milk behind it. That's what happened. But listen to me. Listen to me. I'm trying to help you right here. But if you feed those thoughts, what happens is you're self-sabotaging your life. You're cutting yourself with not, you may not have a razor blade, but you're cutting the very intentions of your heart. And what happens is if you're a teenage girl, what happens is, is you don't believe that you're you don't believe that you look good enough, and so therefore you carry yourself a little different. But if you believe you're all that in a bag of chips, you'll carry yourself like a fine piece of china. So when somebody wants to use you like a paper plate, you'll slap them on the beak. Come on, Jesse. Hello. God, help me right here. Huh? What I'm saying is, is they get their confidence from what God says about them and they believe that. If the teenage boy and girl believe that they're secure in God and they're loved by God, they're not looking for that in the back seat of a car. I don't need you to tell me you love me because I already know I'm loved. I don't need you to tell me I'm awesome because I know I'm awesome. And God done it. All right. So shame needs what? Secrecy, silence, and judgments. We try to keep our stuff a secret. Listen, as long as I got it a secret, I could never overcome it. Because the enemy works in darkness. But God works in when I confess, which is one of the things that we've lost, confess our faults to one another. Is that in the book? Now here's what, don't call sister blabbermouth and confess your fault. I'm trying to help us. I just want to tell you, pray about this. She doesn't call 85. I cannot believe the preacher is struggling in this every life. That means somebody that you're exchanging life with, you're accountable, that you know that they're not going to judge you. Why? I'm, I'm almost done listening. But one thing I can't stand is this. You know you take somebody that comes into the church and that, that has a reputation in the community. I mean, just they, they heathens, car-toting heathens. And a lot of times they come into church, we do like, oh, my God. Why, what I'm saying is, is why are you going to judge somebody from where you come from? My deal is this, I have not forgot where I came from, friend. We're all in need. Uh, I got to land a plane right here, listen. All right, listen to this. What we try to do is we try to numb, numb being vulnerable in our life. Listen to this, no more. We are the most in debt, obese, oh God help us, Jesus. Addicted, medicated, adult cohort in U.S. history. Why is that? We're dealing with some things. We're dealing with some things that God wants to set us free from. And God wants us to run the race. God wants us to be successful in life. He wants you to have the greatest marriage. Do you believe that? Listen, I don't care if you had eight marriages that failed. God wants you to have the greatest marriage. Don't let that define who you are. Get up. The Bible says that a righteous man falls seven times, but he gets up again. The difference is get up. Don't stay down. If you stay down, you're going to lose. You got to get up. 
Listen to this. You can't, you can't selectively numb emotions. Listen, the problem you have, the problem that, that, that you have with alcohol, drugs, any other kind of addiction, eating ice creams late at night. God won't deal with some ice cream sandwiches right now. I'll feel it in the realm of the Spirit. He's after the ice cream sandwich today. You, you're holding it. You won't, you won't share the light. How many like an ice cream sandwich? My God. Thank you, Jesus. Mm. I bought spoken tongues right there. I bought a box of ice cream sandwiches not too long ago, and Grant ate like six of them in a day. And I told him, I said, son, listen here. You 12 years old wanting to be an athlete. Look at your daddy. Do lead them ice cream sandwiches alone. Eat you one or two. Do it in moderation. Listen, you can't selectively numb emotions. When you try to numb the pain of rejection, you numb joy, love, every other emotion that's positive by trying to kill that. Listen, someone that's, whatever the problem is, the addiction is not the problem. That is the symptom. And God wants to go to the root of the problem and deal with the root of the problem in our lives. And if you deal with the root, you don't have to worry about the addiction because you broke the power when you cut the root. Hot. So I'm almost done right here. Listen to this. I wrote this too. We live this way. How we numb. A lot, a lot of times we pretend that my life only affects me. Your life is not only affecting you. As a husband, if you're willing to lay around in filth, when you go home and hug your wife, she just got that filth all over her. Come on, somebody. Don't sit there. You want to roll around with the computer all day, but when you hug her at night, that's exactly what she's getting. The filth coming off your life. My life not only affects me, it affects everyone in my sphere of influence. People's depending on me to make it. They're depending on me to be, to be who God called me to be. Are you with me? So, we perfect, we try to perfect what we don't like. And here's the deal. This is how we do it. Skinny people want to be big. You know there is a certain thing they sell as called weight gainer. People haven't drink it. I look at it. It comes on me. Huh? Skinny people want to be big. Light-skinned people want to be dark-skinned. Dark-skinned people want to be light-skinned. Let's just know this. According to Psalms 139, we are wonderfully and fearfully made in the image of God. He knows my rising up to my going down. He knows the number of hair upon my head, which is a whole lot less than what it used to be. And know this, that he's passionate about you, friend. You are not, you, you, listen, I'm done right here. I want you to stand up with me. You're not that, you're not that person that fell down in the middle of the road. That's not who you are. Are you with me? You're not an addict. You're not some mad max person. You're a child of the living God who is wonderfully and fearfully made in the image of God. 
always remember this. There is that voice. And what, have, what you have to do is on the race, you have to drown that voice out that says you're not good enough. There's not a person in this room that does not deal with that voice, including me. You know what I'm saying? Because I think, you know, God, you know, why, why would you bring me to it? Why, why would you put a lot of people in front of them to, to hear me? I talk very country. I was preaching one time. Uh, this was probably 10 or 12 years ago. I was preaching at a pretty large church in Jacksonville. And a guy asked me, he said, um, he said, my gosh, he said, does everybody speak that country where you're from? And he was standing at the foyer waiting on his wife, and he had his wife's pocketbook on his shoulder. I said, yes, sir, we do. But I said, but we don't tow pocketbooks where I come from. <laughs> I'm probably not the best thing to say, but I was a evangelist. I blew in, blowed up, and blowed out. <laughs> so that voice would come in and say, you're not good enough. You, you didn't finish four years of college. You're not good enough. Let me tell you this. God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies who he calls. And he chooses the weak things to confound the mind of the wise. You're not only your strengths, you're your weaknesses too. That's what makes you you. That's why Paul said, I want glory in my strengths. I'm going to glory in my weaknesses. Because in my weaknesses is where Christ is found strong. You're not just your strengths, you're your weaknesses. But this is what we always do. We always put the best side first. You with me? If there's more lines up under this, on this side to face, I'm going to show you that side. Huh? Come on. Father, I thank you for your people today. Raise your hands. I want to bless you before you leave. Father, I just thank you for this group of people. I thank you for this day. Because this is the day that you have made. And we're going to rejoice and be thankful. Father, we're going to be a people that is free to be who you called us to be. God, I will not set out of the race because of some mistake I've had in my life. I'm not going to feel disqualified by that mistake because your grace has covered me. And Lord, I just thank you that you're, you're, you're building great things in my life. And I thank you for the mercy and grace that you have upon me today. In Jesus' name. Look at your neighbor right now and say, hey, I'm a work in progress and he's not through with me. <laughs>